wondering if there's a special series uh, in Kyle for this semester called Tell Me a Story, or Let Me Tell You a Story. It's the other way around. If you guys tell me a story, that's something entirely different. Let me tell you a story, okay? Um, and so we're just going to start with that, all right? Let me tell you a story. The story I'm going to tell you um, the story some of you guys have heard before, and I'm telling it again upon request that, that some of you guys have asked, hey, can we want to hear that story again? Some of you guys have never heard this story. Um, it's going to be new to you, but, but either way, it's going to be fun. This, this story is called The Last Brownie. Um, if you're giggling, if you've heard it before, if you've not heard it before, that's okay. You'll understand in a second. This story is called The Last Brownie. So let me tell you a story uh, called The Last Brownie. So if you don't know, my wife Jackie makes amazing brownies. I'm not just saying that because she's my wife. Um, and I'm, I know I am biased, but her brownies are, are phenomenal. She, she, she's managed to perfect uh, the process of getting them just right, that perfect chocolatey, gooey. So we're not having brownies tonight. You're like, you know, now that I've built them up. Uh, we're having pizza tonight, like here in like 20 minutes. Um, but, but sometime soon, you'll have to come back. Jack can make brownies, you know, to eat after, and they're going to be really, really good. So Jackie, Jackie's been making these brownies as long as I've known her. So since we were dating, and she'd make these trays of brownie, and they were amazing. We got married. She's making brownies. Uh, a few weeks in, and we're newlyweds, a few weeks into being married, um, and she made some brownies, we've been, been snacking on them all week, and I come home from work, and there's one brownie left, and I'm like, yes, I'm going to eat this brownie, and then I eat the brownie, put my feet up, I chill, man, it's the perfect ending to a day, uh, getting down on the last brownie. Then Jackie comes home from work, right? Uh, she comes home from work, long day working at the gym, as a fitness instructor, swim instructor there at the gym, she'd come home, and what I didn't know was as I'm like wiping the brownie crumbs from my mouth. But I didn't know it. She'd been dreaming all day of coming home to that last brownie. She saw it on the way out to work, and all day she's been dreaming, I'm going to come home, and, and no matter what happens today, I know I get to come home to that last brownie. So she comes home, hey honey, she walks into the, the kitchen, and she says, Matt, where's the brownie? Where's the last brownie? And I said, oh that? I ate it. Right? Because I'm dumb. You know? <laughs> I just, yeah, I totally ate that. I don't know exactly what happened to that brownie. And she said, you know, you what? And, then, and so what proceeded there um, was probably our, our first real argument of our marriage. You know, and, and I don't want to kind of paint marriage as something like, you know, all, all couples are going to argue and disagree, and, and so that's healthy, and that's normal. Um, this is probably our first big one, right? She was really upset uh, that I was inconsiderate and ate the last brownie. And I wasn't. I wasn't even thinking of her. I just saw, wow, brownie. Um, and I got down, right? I wasn't thinking about her. Um, and you know, so 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 she was she was real upset, and, she, and, and I I was aware of how upset she was. And then later, she felt real bad of how upset she got. Um, but you know, we, we figured it out, and we made up, and we all learned something from the situation. But to this day, to this day, fast forward, we just celebrated our tenth anniversary in June. Uh, to this day, neither one of us eats the last brownie. You know, I I I don't ever want to eat the last brownie again, right? I have no interest in ever touching the last brownie again. And then she kind of feels about bad about how. How she reacted, and so she also doesn't want to eat the last brownie. So what we do is we kind of whittle away at that last brownie. We eat the whole tray, and we get down to the last one. We cut off the sliver. You ever guys ever eat a brownie that way? It's like, well, I don't want a whole brownie, but I'll have just like a little sliver here. And you kind of whittle away. We whittle away until it's like the size of a postage stamp, right? It's tiny. It's teeny, tiny, tiny. We'll whittle it down to nothing, but none of us will like eat the last brownie. All right? So that's the story of the last brownie. And you may ask, what does the story of the last brownie have to do with what we're talking about tonight? Well, does that make you do I mean, I guess there's a moral there that's like, you know, be considerate to others and, and, uh, and learn how to get along or, or you know, think, think of others, something like that. But, but the real point of it is the story itself, the last brownie story. It's fun. It's fun to listen to. It's engaging. And it's a great way to set the stage. Well, what we're talking about tonight is stories. Tell me a story. This is, you know, why we, why we love stories. 
Why do we love stories? Why stories engage us, why they grip us, why they suck us in? That's what we're talking about tonight. So uh, we're talking about, let me tell you a story. We all love stories, right? As human beings, man, we're, we're kind of hardwired to love stories. We love stories. We love stories, uh, especially where there's some kind of tension, right? There's some kind of tension where something is, is broken that needs to be restored. You know, whether it's a, a relationship, you know, or even a hope of a relationship, you know, that we want to see restored. Uh, every single you know romantic book or movie is, is this way. You know, and, and every single romantic movie it could probably only be like five ten minutes long, right? And except something goes terribly wrong in the first act, and they have to spend like the whole rest of, of the movie trying to set it right, and then you know they get together in the final act. But without without that terrible thing going wrong, without that tension, you know, a romantic comedy could only be like five minutes. Okay, hey, I meet this guy, he's cool. All right, let's get married. Uh, but no, you know, something goes terribly wrong and they can't meet. So the whole time there's this tension there. Will they? Won't they? Uh, I mean, this hope of a relationship being restored. We love those kind of stories. We love a story where, where there's a relationship that needs to be restored. We love stories uh, where there's some kind of injustice or some kind of broken situation where there needs to be a hero to, to rise to the occasion and set things right, to take what's wrong and set it right. We love those kind of stories. Every kind of action, adventure story, everything where there's explosions and and guns and, and superheroes, all that kind of stuff. is that kind of story where, where, man, there's something wrong. Some kind of injustice and some kind of way the system is broken and there needs to be someone to rise to the occasion, someone that's going to step in and set things right. Man, we love that kind of story, right? The other kind of story that we really love is redemption stories. You know, where there's a character, uh, man, who, who's embarrassed, humiliated themselves. Maybe something that they did, maybe something that happens to them, um, and they're in a bad situation. But over the course of the story, man, we see that character redeemed. We see that character uh, justified in the end. Um, these, are, these are my favorite kind of stories, by the way. I mean, you see a movie, a show, you read a book that has that kind of story. And you guys know the kind of guy, the characters I'm talking about. The character that in the very first part of the story, or maybe the first episode, you're like, man, I hate that guy. Man, that guy's the worst. Right? But as the story goes on, we say the character becomes redeemable. And, and Holly said, Oh, why now I really like this character. Maybe this is my favorite character. And these characters I, I liked originally. Now I think that they're the worst. Um, and it's this way when we watched, you guys ever watched the TV show Lost? It was that way to me. Like, there was this character who's like, Dude, that guy's awful. I hate him. And the pilot. And then by the end of the show, he's my favorite. Yeah. I like that guy. So, so we like seeing characters get redeemed. We like seeing characters that, that, that are at their lowest, that are, that are humiliated, embarrassed. We like to see them. Justified and redeemed. Those kind of stories resonate with us. One of my one of my favorite storytellers, you know, the brilliant children's programming creator Phil Vischer, uh, he says that we love these kind of stories precisely because we are in that kind of story. We're living that kind of story. Now, for example, you might have a story about uh, a little fish and a daddy fish that live at the bottom of the ocean. And at the beginning of the story, something terrible happens, and the baby fish and the daddy fish are separated, right? So in the second act, uh, the characters proceed in a series of events to try to be reunited, and by the end of the story, you know, the, the father and the son fish are united again, right? Happily ever after. Sound familiar? You guys know the story? We love that kind of story, right? Um, you know, the, the, somewhere there, what was broken is, is again restored. That relationship's restored. The daddy fish finds his son. Uh, everything's put back together again. We love those kind of stories because deep down we know that we're living that kind of story. We're in that kind of story. This is our story. And, and our world is broken. Our world, we look at it and say, man, it doesn't work quite right. I look at the world and say, it's not supposed to be like this. Something deep inside me, I can tell things are not right. Things are broken. I mean, there's a longing for a relationship. Whether we know if there's a God or not, there's a longing for something there that we feel is broken, we feel is separated, and we long for it to be restored. We long for it to be fixed and made whole. 
Uh, we long for that restored relationship. We, we long to see, to see a hero kind of rise up and set things right. We long for a hero, a savior, someone that's going to fix things. Uh, you know, we, we long for personal redemption, to see ourselves redeemed, to see ourselves justified. These kind of stories resonate us, resonate with us for that very reason. Because we're living that kind of story. We're in the middle of that kind of story. So when we read about it, when we see about it, man, you know, you guys know resonance, like music, you know, that, we vibrate with that story. It's like, yeah, I get that. That makes sense on a, on a deep level. We probably couldn't even really put words to. It's like, man, we love those stories. And it's because that's us. That's us. We're living that kind of story. Stories resonate with us. And one of the absolute greatest storytellers of all time was Jesus. Absolute greatest storyteller of all time. And Jesus would use stories like these to help people to understand, to help people relate to these abstract spiritual concepts, to have people, help people to wrap their minds around the kingdom of God and who God is and the way he operates. Um, and, and, and so this semester in Chi Alpha, we're going through a series but let me tell you a story. It's going to be looking at the stories of Jesus, the parables that Jesus used to teach, that he used to communicate, um, and what it meant to the audience then, and what it means to our lives now. Here in 2015, University of Memphis, and what, what do these ancient stories mean for us today? Let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story. How, does this, how are these mind-blowing, world-changing stories, and how do they affect our everyday lives? And part of our discussions in life groups, we talk about life groups, part of the discussions uh, in life groups each week, is we're going to be unpacking these parables. We're going to be looking at these stories a little deeper. We're going to be applying them uh, in our lives, discussing them together. So we talk about them Thursday night. It's going to come to bear. And in the next week, we get to discuss it some and apply it some, which I think is going to make, make life groups, you know, get that extra extra little bit of engagement there. Um, it's going to be a fantastic series. I think you're really, really going to enjoy it. As we've been putting it together over the summer, I've just been getting like more and more and more excited. Like, man, I can't wait to teach this one. Oh, I can't wait to teach this one. Um, and you guys are going to hear from Joey and, and Jackie as well. It's going to be really good. So you want to come back and, and bring a friend. Um, but let me tell you a story. Uh, I really feel like in this series, as we listen to the parables of Jesus, the stories of Jesus, it's going to transform your life. It's going to transform the way you see God. It's going to transform your walk with God. Uh, it's going to be really, really uh, beneficial to you, really, really powerful for you. So understanding who Jesus is, understanding who Jesus is, and making a decision of what to do with that understanding, what to do with that knowledge, is the most important thing you're going to do with your life. Because that decision, that choice, is going to set the trajectory of the rest of your life, both here on this earth uh, and in the afterlife. The decision of what you do with understanding who Jesus is, man, that affects everything. You know, Jesus is many things, right? Jesus is the Son of God, He's Savior, He's Messiah. But during his ministry here on the earth, he was also had another very important role, and it was that was the role of a teacher. You know, as, you know, he was a carpenter, like the first huge chunk of his life, and then as he entered public ministry, he did so as a traveling teacher, a traveling rabbi, a preacher. He went around and he told stories, and he talked to people, and he explained God, and explained the kingdom of God to people. He was a teacher, uh, and Jesus taught everywhere he went about the kingdom of God, everywhere he went about who God was and the kind of lives that God wants us to live. Right? So we're talking about stories. Right in the series, we're talking about stories. We're talking about the stories of Jesus, and as Jesus taught, man, he would use stories all the time, all the time. He used stories. He'd figure out a way to work stories in, no matter what the topic was. He's bringing in a story, um, and as Jesus taught, he'd use these stories. He'd use these par- uh, parables. You know, we call them. He used these analogies all the time. And in fact, the gospel writers go so far as to say that he never taught without using some kind of story. Right? It's one thing to say, man, that guy uses stories all the time. Well, well, you know, Matthew and Mark, they go a step further and say, no, no, he never did not use a story. Right? Every single time he saw it, there's some kind of story happening. Look at Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13 will be in verse uh, 34 and 35. It will be up there. Um, 
If you guys don't have your Bible there, it says, Jesus always used stories and illustrations like these when speaking to the crowds. In fact, he never spoke to them without using such parables. This fulfilled what God had spoken to the prophet. Matthew quotes uh, the Psalms here. He says, I'll speak to you in parables. I'll explain things hidden since the creation of the world. You know, as Matthew's writing down his account of the life of Jesus, he says, man, and Jesus, everywhere he went, he taught, everywhere he went, he taught the stories. He taught the stories. So, so what we're going to look at for this first part tonight is why stories? Why stories? We mentioned a little bit of it, but why did Jesus use stories? You know, why tell a story rather than just giving the simple information, the data, the facts, the simple command just directly? Wouldn't it be a lot simpler, you know, just to take off, you know, all the, the characters and the, the plot, all that stuff, and just say directly what I want you to know? Like, if I want to teach you something, wouldn't it be easier for me just to give you the raw information? Here you go. Here's the facts. Here's the data. Um, you know, so like, why, why would Jesus tell, tell a parable, tell a story about a father and his two sons and, and, and the kind of struggles they go through rather than just saying, God wants you to obey him, right? Wouldn't that be simpler? God wants you to obey his commands. Why use a story? Why use a parable? And we mentioned a little bit, the stories resonate with us. They resonate with us and touch us on a, a much deeper level than just simple facts and figures and commands would. They touch us much deeper than just information would. Uh, they help us to understand and remember things on a much deeper level. And think back to your favorite professor or favorite teacher that you had, particularly for a subject uh, that wasn't, wasn't the easiest to understand, wasn't the easiest to stay awake during. Um, and not, not your favorite because of their personality or, or this or that, but your favorite because of their teaching style. Think back to some of your favorite teachers, and they probably taught with stories. If you have a history class, if you remember or learned anything, in, it's not because your teacher stood up there and recited dates and names and places. And, and you had to memorize dates and names and places. He probably got up and he told you some really good stories about history. And you're like, wow, man, I wasn't interested before, but man, this is really interesting. Um, and if you had a math teacher that made math ex- ex- make sense to you, they probably didn't just stand up there with numbers on a blackboard, but they probably they could put analogies and stories to it in a way that, oh, okay, this is why I need this in my life. You know, this is why it's important that I know this theorem or this equation that, that man, I see no practical use of at all, right? That good teachers, good teachers are going to be storytellers. And so I've been, uh, you know, I've been on staff with Kyle in, in, in some form, been, been a Bible teacher, a pastor for about 10 years now. Um, and I've witnessed this myself. Man, if I'm, if I'm teaching something, whether it's a small little Bible study or whether it's a, a big group like Kyle or even speaking in a church, um, I've noticed this, that if you just kind of teach and just kind of teaching a concept, explaining something, explaining a theological idea, or teaching from the Bible, people kind of, and this glaze over, they go somewhere else for a little bit. But the minute you start to tell a story, the minute you turn around and, and say, and let me, let me tell you what happened to me this week. All of a sudden people, they sit up, their eyes open up. Well, I want to hear, I want to hear this story. Um, and we eat stories up, we devour stories, it, it, or it wraps up our attention. Uh, so when Jesus uses stories, I mean, it's for that reason, to get people's attention and so that, uh, and that truth can communicate with them on a deeper level, they can understand it better. Um, you know, stories connect with us much more than simple, simple information because, stick with me, they, they engage the voices in our heads. Some of you guys are like, other people have voices in their heads? I thought that was just me. Yeah, yeah we all do to, to an extent. And what I mean by that is voices in our heads. So whenever we, you hear a fact or figure, a percentage, someone quote you some information, immediately the voices in your head, your brain goes to work to think of some kind of exception that it can remember, some, some kind of case where that's not true. Someone gives you a command or they try to, they try to, they try to tell you uh, this is what you should do immediately, your brain starts thinking over here of why you should not do that, right? Someone gives you, gives you some cold hard information and you've got 
your, your brain is somehow hardwired to want to think the opposite and think, well, I can think of a time that that would be true. You know, it, it wants to argue, it wants to debate. Um, you know, our, our brain starts to scrutinize facts and figures. It doesn't do well with just cold information like that. Whenever we hear an argument, the voices in our head, they start to argue back. Like, no, this is why that's not true. Or no, that, that can't be right because of this and that. Um, it's different with stories. With stories, like, invite those voices in the head, hey, come along on an adventure with me. <laughs> come along and work with me. Then the voices in your head kind of get to live it. And oh, and you, you encounter an obstacle or you see a goal and they get to kind of problem solve a little bit. It's invite the audience into the process of how are we going to solve this problem? How are we going to resolve this tension we created? And, and stories allow the messages, allow that truth uh, to get in and stick. You know, it gets past all those walls, all those defenses that our brain likes to make. Um, so all those times that, man, you were able to really understand something, really remember something because of a story someone told, that's why. Because, man, your brain wants to cooperate with stories. It doesn't like to cooperate with just hard arguments and facts and information. Um, you know, if I were to tell you, and another problem is, if you over oversimplify a message, people think, oh, I already know that, right? You make a message too simple and it sounds like common sense. Like, if I were to tell you, don't let your problems pile up too much. You'd be like, okay, duh, I know that, right? Uh, you know, same way that Jesus was like, you should obey God, people would be like, yeah, okay, well, you know that, thanks Jesus. Um, it, it went in one ear, out the other. You know, so if I said, Man, don't, don't let your problems pile up too much, you'd be like, okay, I know that, you tune me out, uh, don't listen to anything I have to say. It's too oversimplified. But if I were to tell you a story about a time a student, um, and they procrastinated like all semester. And it's time their, their research paper is due the next day, and they've not done any of the research, right? And, and so they're, they're typing away, it's 2 a.m., they're scrambling, they're Googling, man, can I find anything to put together this research paper? On top of that, i gotta, I got a test later that day that I'm not studied for, and all these kind of things. And, and you kind of get there in the middle of it, and you live the stress and the sweat and the anxiety there with them, and that's going to stick with you. That's going to resonate with, with you a whole lot more than I'm like, you guys should study and go to class and don't, don't let stuff pile up on you. See what I mean? Uh, and stories engage us better. Stories resonate, and, and that's part of the reason Jesus would use stories and, and parables, because of the way that they prepare us for life, uh, you know, in a way that simple information, simple arguments cannot do. The first chapter of Proverbs talks about this. It talks about gaining wisdom and understanding from Proverbs and parables. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 1. It's going to be verse 5 and 6. It says, Let the wise listen to these Proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance by exploring the meanings of and these proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and their riddles. Did you know that by listening to proverbs, by listening to parables, by listening to stories, it can make you more wise? Like I said, and those stories, they help you to kind of role play a little bit. What would I do in that situation? So when you encounter that situation, and you've got some experience without having experienced it. That's the power of stories. And, and, and the writer of Proverbs here says, man, listen to those kind of Proverbs, those parables, those stories, listening to them and really thinking about them will make you wise, will make you wise. Stories help us to relate truth to our own experiences in a way to make those ideas stick with us. And I think this is part of the reason that Jesus used them, so that they stick. So you wouldn't go in one ear and out the other, but the truth of God would really stick with people. You know, so these ideas would stick, so they go viral. Uh, in a way, through the society because of how sticky that they would be. Think about the example of the Good Samaritan. If you guys have ever heard the parable of the Good Samaritan, or you probably, if not, you've heard, if you've not heard the parable, you may not be a Christian, you may have never been to church in your life, but that concept of a Good Samaritan has dispersed itself into the culture, uh, into our language, that we understand that a Good Samaritan is a person who does what? Good things? More specifically. Good things for other people, yeah. A good Samaritan is someone that helps someone. 
Uh, and, and, I, and just about probably everyone in here, you say, yeah, I already knew that. I knew that word. Even if you couldn't tell me the story that Jesus told about the Good Samaritan or any details of it, uh, or if you've never read that parable at all, that idea is so sticky that it's disseminated into culture. If I were to ask you, what's a Samaritan? You'd be like, I don't know. I don't know what that is. But a good one is someone that helps people, right? Um, you know, and, and so there's all kinds of context, and there's all kinds of layers, and there's, there's a deeper, richer level of truth when you dive into it. Um, but man, these stories Jesus told were so powerful that, that they kind of disseminate. They went, we call it going viral today. They disseminate throughout the culture uh, to where, man, there's little elements of them everywhere. Throughout the culture, even like people that are totally unchurched, totally not Christians at all. I mean, the, the, those concepts still echo uh, and remain. Um, so, I mean, Jesus told stories. One of the main reasons is so they would be memorable for us. But stories don't always work this way. Stories don't always work this way. Some stories can be pretty opaque when we don't understand it. And when they're opaque that way, they kind of have the opposite effect. Instead of being more memorable, um, in stories we don't understand, they encode their message in a way that makes it impossible to relate to, impossible for us to decipher. For example, they may see a movie or read a book that they just did not understand at all. Yeah? They, they maybe a teacher had you read a book and you're like, what did I just read? I'll go reread it. No, nope, still nothing. Right? Or you watch the movie and you're like, I have no idea. You know, and I'm not talking about you just don't understand the appeal of the movie. That's something entirely different. Like I one time had the opportunity, if you want to use that word, to see about 10 minutes of one of the Twilight movies with Jackie. And I was like, what in the world is this? You know, what in the world? I did not get the appeal of it. That's different, that's different than not understanding it, right? I understood it. I just did, I did not get why, why in the world would people get so excited about this. Um, so, man, if you've ever seen that movie where you were just, you come out of it like, I got nothing. I had absolutely no idea what I just watched. Um, I need to go, like, let my brain, you know, kind of blow off steam or something. Um, I had this experience over the summer. So Jackie uh, went on a mission trip to El Salvador uh, the first part of the summer. So when she goes out of town, you know, I've got the kids. I want to put the kids to bed. I've got the night to just kind of do whatever, right? So if you guys don't know this about me, now is as good a time as any to learn it. I'm a, I'm a nerd. I'm a pretty, pretty big nerd. So I like nerdy stuff like uh, science fiction, fantasy, that kind of stuff. So, so Jackie's out of town. I'm like, okay, now I get to watch the really nerdy science fiction movies that she would never ever want to watch, right? Uh, this is my time to get to watch that because because she would I'll try to turn it on, she'd be like, no way, we're not watching that. Right? So this is my time, this is my chance. So I watched one of these movies. Um you probably have not seen it, maybe you have. Uh, <laughs> I found a movie on Netflix called Primer. And Primer is this really indie, low budget time travel movie. And when I say low budget, if you, if you think about science fiction movies, they've got spectacular special effects. This, imagine a science fiction movie with no special effects, right? You just got to kind of use your imagination. A time travel movie is actually really good. Uh, and, and about halfway through, I'm like, man, this movie's really good. These, these dudes built a time machine in their garage. Okay, I'm tracking with it. They're time traveling. They're going back to other parts of the movie and earlier scenes. And I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. About, about halfway through the second act, you know, we're getting kind of into the late second act, early third act. It's getting pretty confusing. These guys are time traveling back to earlier scenes. So you're thinking, wait, so when I watched this scene earlier, you know, it was Monday, but it was actually the Tuesday guy that had gone back, and this guy over here was actually this guy over there. Entered into the last 20 minutes of the movie, it got so confusing, I had no idea what was happening. I was watching it, but man, it was not resonating. It was not connecting. The movie, I was watching the movie, but more of the movie was happening to me. Um, and then it just ends, right? It's confusing, confusing, confusing. Sometimes some movies will kind of pull it out with the resolution. It didn't feel the need to do that. It just kind of stopped. The movie stopped happening. I knew it was over because the people's names that made it started coming out. Um, I was like, what in the world did I just watch? I was really liking it. And all of a sudden, I'm like, 
I have no idea, right? I was trying to think about it. I'm like, I guess I'm not smart enough to understand this. So, so I do what any reasonable person would do. I Googled it. Maybe someone smarter than me somewhere has seen this movie and they understood it, so they wrote an explanation. And sure enough, some really, really, really nerdy guy had done that. I mean, there's charts and graphs and all this kind of stuff. So I went to that. And I said, oh, okay. That makes, that makes a little more sense now. I kind of see what they're doing there. Oh, that's pretty clever, right? But, but without that explanation... I did not understand it all, right? Uh, and you guys probably, I mean, you've experienced that. You've seen movies, you've read books, you've read whatever. Did that you just, man, I did not get that at all. I did not understand that at all. Um, <laughs> it needs an explanation to get it. Uh, you know, sometimes stories need to be explained. And Jesus would do that sometimes with his followers. When Jesus would tell a parable, Jesus would tell a story, and his followers did not get it. They were just like, you know, nothing. You know, God lays their eyes, we don't get it. And sometimes they would say as much to Jesus, Jesus, we don't understand what you're talking about. Um, and we'll step in, out of the message for just a moment. This is one of the reasons of many that, that we know that the accounts of the Gospels are true. Uh, is because the, the, the way that they describe themselves is a way you would never describe yourself if you were just making up a story. Because the disciples, as they wrote their accounts of the Gospels, they make themselves some kind of stupid sometimes, right? It's very self-effacing, very humbling. Um, so they would just write... We had no idea what Jesus was talking about that day, you know, and stuff, stuff like that. And for me, that's kind of like, okay, if you're just making up a story, you would not put that in there, right? Okay, back to the message. So, so on these occasions where they would just say, Jesus, we don't understand, he'd take them aside and he'd explain it to them. That's nice, right? He'd help them to understand um, when they didn't get it. Mark chapter 4 describes one of these situations. Mark chapter 4, verse 33 and 34, it says, Jesus used many similar stories and illustrations to teach the people as much as they can understand. Verse 34. In fact, in his public ministry, he never taught without using parables. There it is again. But afterward, when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything to them. So some of the Gospels contain uh, Jesus' explanations for the parables. And some of the parables, there's no explanation. You just kind of are left to figure it out on your own. You kind of examine the context and try to understand, okay, what would this have meant to the original audience and those kind of things. And it requires you to dig a little deeper. The parables, the stories of Jesus, they require something from the listener. You can't just listen to be like, oh, okay, I get it. Particularly because, and now that we're 2,000 years after the fact, some of the context is like, okay, I don't get that at all. Some of this stuff still makes sense. Like if someone had a farmer and seeds and plants, we're like, okay, I, I get the idea of farmers and seeds and plants. He's talking about some other other stuff and stuff we don't use today and technological things that, man, I've not even seen that in my lifetime. We're like, what? You know, so it requires some little bit of investigation uh, for us. So, so sometimes in the Gospels, uh, and we get these parables explained, sometimes they're not explained. But the best thing you can do if you come across a teaching or a parable and you don't understand what's happening, first of all, look at the context. Try to understand the terms. What would this have meant to the original audience? And then the very best thing you can do, pray. And Holy Spirit, would you help me to understand this parable? Holy Spirit, would you help me to understand the teachings of Jesus? That's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit, is to illuminate our hearts, to help us uh, to understand these things. So some of Jesus' parables needed to be explained. Some of them were simple enough that you're like, okay, I totally get it. Some of them were a little bit deeper, they needed to be explained. But Jesus also tells us that some of his parables, for some people, would be impossible to understand. Impossible to understand. Like the primary movie, if that guy hadn't made all those charts and graphs. Some of Jesus' parables, he, he, he straight up tells us, uh, are going to be impossible to understand for some people. And this is why. You know, for those that only hear the parables, but do not engage them, do not obey them, do not apply them to their life. You know, for those who reject Jesus and don't follow Jesus, uh, it says for those people, 
uh, you know, the, the, the parables are not to help them understand, but it's to present a truth to them in a way that's impossible for them to understand because it won't make sense using their existing framework. It won't make sense using their uh, existing ideologies of how the world works. It says, my teachings, man, they're not going to fit into that box, so I'm going to present this truth to you, and you're just not going to get it. I'm sorry, you're just not going to get it. It's not going to make any sense to you. It's going to be nonsense. And if you, if, you, if you reject Jesus, if you don't really obey the teachings, you're going to hear the teachings, yeah, but, but they're, they're not going to really impact your life the way they could. They're not going to make sense the way they could um, if, if you don't accept Jesus. Again, they're not going to fit neatly into your existing categories of what you think God's like, what you think the kingdom of God should be like uh, until you begin to turn to Jesus and follow Jesus. Describes it in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13, starting in verse 12, says, To those who listen to my teaching, and by listen he means you know, listen and really engage it, listen and really obey, he says more understanding will be given, and they'll be given an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken from them. Verse 13, that is why I use these parables, for they look, but they don't really see, and they hear, and they don't really understand. And that last part, he's quoting a prophecy of Isaiah about the Messiah. He's going to come. He's going to teach things, but people are not going to get it. Those that reject Jesus, those that reject the Messiah, it's not going to make any sense to them. Um, they're not going to be. They'll, they'll hear it, but they won't really understand it. So, for his followers, man, these teachings communicate a powerful truth. For the, for people that were following Jesus, these stories, this, these parables, communicate a powerful truth about God, about God's kingdom, about human nature, about the broken condition of the world. You know, but people that opposed Jesus, people that, that didn't put these teachings into practice, and for them it was complete nonsense. For them it was gibberish. They were not able to, to understand it at all. You know, when we when someone can't hear well, and this may be like an outdated, not PC term anymore. In fact, I'm probably pretty sure it is. When someone is not able to hear well, sometimes they're called hard of hearing. Have you guys heard that concept before? Uh but, but Jesus says, when you don't understand his teachings, it's not that you're hard of hearing, it's more that you're hard of heart. He says that our hearts have become hard. Our hearts have become callous. You know, to where, to where we hear these teachings, but because our hearts are hardened, because our hearts are callous, we can't really understand them or apply them the way that we should. And we're going to talk a, a, a lot more about that, the conditions of our heart next week. And we're going to look at, look at one of Jesus' parables called the parable of the soil, and it deals with human nature. And there's some really illuminating stuff there about by the condition of our hearts and why our hearts are the way they are and why our condition is the way it is. Um, but, but, but just kind of leaving that Jesus, it's not that we're hard of hearing, it's that we're hard of heart. Our hearts are hard. And what we need is the Holy Spirit uh, to, 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 to soften our hearts to make it to where we can understand the truth of God. Paul explains it this way in his second letter to the Corinthians. Um, you know, Paul's writing, he explains it, it's the Holy Spirit who helps us understand. It's the Holy Spirit that lifts that veil that keeps us from seeing, keeps us from hearing keeps us from understanding truth. He does this, Paul says, when we turn to Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 14 through 16. It says, But the people's minds were hardened. And to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil... Is taken away. So Paul's talking about when people would read the writings of Moses. When people are reading the, the, the Old Testament, particularly those first five books of the Old Testament, um, when they're reading it, they don't really understand that everything in the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. Everything from Genesis 1 1 
on through on through the end of Malachi, it's all it's all pointing towards Jesus. But until until you turn to Jesus, until Holy Spirit lifts that veil, you'll read it and you'll not get that at all. You're like, I don't know what I'm reading. In fact, some of this stuff it doesn't make any sense to me at all. But Paul says when you turn to Jesus, that veil's lifted and you say, Oh, okay, it's been about Jesus the whole time. And I see this prophecy and that prophecy, and I see this little bit of foreshadowing, and, and the whole thing, it's been promising Jesus for hundreds and hundreds of years. And then when Jesus comes, it's this fulfillment, this amazing fulfillment of what had been promised all these years. And he says, man, until the Holy Spirit lifts the veil, we're not going to be able to get it. And it's the same way with the teachings of Jesus, same way with the stories, the parables of Jesus. On some level, well, okay, I kind of understand that. Okay, grass grows when you plant a seed. But, but on a deeper spiritual level, until Holy Spirit lifts that veil, it's not really going to penetrate it's not really going to transform our lives the way God wants it to. All right, so Jesus is going to illustrate this concept with the first parable that we're looking at in our series, the patch and the wineskins. All right, and we're going to conclude with this very, very short parable. Very short parable It's going to be where we're going to conclude tonight. Uh, and because of um, the accounts of Jesus are not arranged strictly chronologically. I don't know if you guys know that, but you're reading your Bible and you're reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, you are getting factual, true, eyewitness accounts of the life and teachings of Christ, but they're not arranged strictly chronologically. Uh, Modern-day historians, if they wanted to write about an event that had happened, like if I wanted to write about, you know, I'm literally going to class today, I would, I would put the classes in order, or I would say she woke up, she did this, and I'll put it, you know, in, in, in time order, chronological order. Well, ancient historians didn't have as much of a burden or didn't feel it was quite as necessary to arrange things this way. It just wasn't a big deal to them. So things in the Gospels are arranged mostly chronologically, but they're also arranged thematically. That means I'm going to put this thing over here with this thing over here because it makes a lot more sense in context. So because the Gospels are arranged this way, we don't exactly know what the first parable of Jesus was. We don't exactly know what the first time his very first teaching was, his very first story was. Um, we know man, when he started his ministry, he stood up uh, and read from a scroll from Isaiah and kind of saying, hey, this is me, I'm starting my ministry. Um, but then because of the way the Bible's arranged, we don't know for sure, we can't point and say, this was Jesus' first story. This is Jesus' first parable. But, you know, so even though it's difficult to be sure, many scholars think that this one, this parable about the patch and the wineskins, may be the first parable. Uh, because of the way it sets the stage for all the other teachings of Jesus. This is the way it sets the stage for all of the other parables. So let's take a look at it, and you'll see what I mean here. So first, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 9, uh, starting in verse 14. And so first, Matthew gives us a bit of context. Here's what's happening when Jesus tells the story. Matthew chapter 9, starting in, starting in verse 14. It says, One day, the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus, and they asked him, Why don't your disciples fast like you do, and the Pharisees do? That's a good question. Verse 15, Jesus replied, do wedding guests mourn while celebrating the groom? No, that's not what we ask. That's not at all what we ask. And he says, of course not. Someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. So fasting. Um, you, know, you know, rabbis and, and teachers and spiritual teachers would teach people to fast. They would tell people that, you know, teach them how to fast and why to fast. Uh, and Jesus also teaches people to fast. You read through the Gospels, you see he teaches about fasting. Uh, the other rabbis are teaching about fasting, but what John the Baptist's disciples notice is, okay, Jesus, you teach about fasting, but I'm looking at your disciples, and they don't fast. They don't practice it. They don't do it. And why is that? And to answer them, and he, his response um, is this about the guests of the bridegroom do not mourn while he's with them. So think about why do people fast? Why do people not eat? Some people have dietary. Like, I, 
I'm going to fast so that I can lose some weight, right? But that's not a spiritual reason people fast. Why do people spiritually fast? Now you fast to draw closer to God. The simplest, the most basic. You fast, you deny yourself to draw closer to God. So what Jesus is saying here is, you know, if people fast to draw closer to God, you're not going to get any closer to God than having God made flesh, having Jesus, Emmanuel, right there with you in person, hanging out with you. Right? If I could walk and talk and hang out with Jesus like he did with his disciples, I'm not going to get any closer to God than that. So, we, so what Jesus is saying here with this idea about the, the bridegroom and the guests and all that kind of thing is, is there's going to come a time that I'm going to go away. And yes, they will fast. I'm talking about fasting. But you've got to understand, I'm not just another rabbi. Jesus says he's not just another teacher. He's the son of God. And that changes everything. That changes everything. So that kind of sets the stage for this parable uh, that he's going to say to illustrate this concept, this parable about a patch and some wine skins. You guys ready for it? All right, here it is. Verse 16. It says, Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For a new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. Verse 17. And no one puts wine into old wine skins. For the old skins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine is stored in new wine skins so that both are preserved. You got it? All right, we're done. Let's go home. No, okay. So let me explain what Jesus is saying here. Um, first, let's talk about the patch and the clothing. How many of you guys are good at sewing or maybe have ever patched a garment or can mend things or say no, but my mom could? You know, if I got a hole in my jeans, I'm taking the mom. Some of you guys' moms are like, I don't know any more what to do with that than you do, so we're just going to go get you some more paints, right? Um, that's how I feel. My kids have like a sewing issue and Jackie's not around. It's like, uh, we're just going to wear something else. Yeah. Um, but so if you guys have any kind of understanding, or maybe you've experienced this, maybe you've got a shirt, oh, this is my favorite shirt, I love this shirt, and then you wash the shirt, and you dry the shirt, and you take the shirt out of the dryer, and it's it's shrunken down like three sizes smaller, and you, it doesn't fit you now, so I got a, I mean, it's a hand-me-down, I can give it to my little brother and little sister now, I can never wear this shirt again. First of all, I hate that feeling, right? Um, I, I brought home a shirt uh, you know, last summer. Um, when we took our trip to the Dominican Republic, I brought home a shirt. Uh, I was loving the shirt, and I, I went to, uh, you know, I wore it around. My first day home, I washed it, I dried it, and it came up, and it was tiny. It was tiny. So I'm like, okay, Jackie, you got a new shirt from the Dominican Republic, because um, I'm not going to be able to wear this thing. Uh, yeah, so that's what happens to fabric. It shrinks when you launder, right? So an old fabric, an old garment, is going to already have shrunken, right? And so when you buy a t-shirt, you may have noticed the tag in there sometimes says, pre-shrunk, right? Pre-washed, pre-shrunk fabric. And what that tells you is the size it is now, fits you now, it'll fit you after you wash it because we've already shrunk it for you. If that if that fabric gets a hole in it, okay, I want to patch that up. I want to put some new fabric on that hole. Well, and you find some shiny new piece of fabric. Oh, okay, I like this. I'm going to patch it up with this shiny new piece of fabric. If that shiny new piece of fabric has not also been pre-shrunk, the very first time you launder that thing, the very first time you wash and dry that thing, uh, the patch will pull away from the fabric, and you're going to be back in the same spot that you were in. Does that make sense? Yeah? Everyone's tracking with that? Okay, good. And some of you guys are like, God, you said laundry, and I just went somewhere else because that's scary to me. So my, my freshman year of college, my roommate had never done laundry in his life, and his mom had laminated him an index card with how to wash clothes, how to separate whites and colors, how to dry them, all those kind of things. And it was precious. Um, yeah. So anyway, if, if laundry didn't turn you off too much, here's what I'm saying. So what Jesus is saying with this example, if you can't you can't just add a patch to an, a new patch to an old garment that doesn't work. Jesus is saying that they're not going to be able to simply add Jesus to their existing religious system. 
right? But they're not going to be able to, to, to take their existing beliefs and say, oh, okay, I like these teachings of Jesus. I like Jesus. I'm just going to add him on top like a patch. Boom, right? He's saying that faith in God is not just like a buffet where you can take a little bit from over here. Well, I really like these beliefs over here. I really like these teachings over here and kind of just mix and match and make your own. And, oh, man, this Jesus guy, he's something else. I'm just going to add him on top like a patch. He's saying, that's not going to work, right? Jesus is too different. He's too different. You can't just add him on. It's either all Jesus or it's nothing, but there's no way to just add Jesus onto what you already believe in him. And to go a little bit deeper, he explains it with this, this analogy of the wineskins. So, to understand the analogy of the wineskins, we've got to talk a little bit about how do we get wine. And some of you guys say, man, I have no idea. It's just like magic, right? It just appears. The way we get wine is if you leave juice sitting out, you bottle it up, you leave juice there, over time, the, the, the yeast that's there, that's there in that juice will cause a chemical reaction, and the juice will start to ferment. Um, and as it ferments, um, it, it, it transforms some of its molecules, become alcohol, and also a gas is released, carbon dioxide. I'm not a chemist, right? But I'm telling you what I understand. Um, stuff happens, and it changes, and it's no longer juice, but now it is wine. It was not alcoholic, but now it is alcoholic, and, and, and during that process... Uh, gas is given off. Gas is released during that chemical reaction. That's why, if you're to take the, the cork off of a bottle of wine, what happens? Pop! Right? And there's a loud pop as that pressure is released. Sometimes, you know, stuff goes shooting out, right? Because those contents are under pressure because during that fermentation process, gas is released and pressure builds up. Pressure builds up. Okay, so go back 2,000 years ago. The way that they would make wine is they would pour, uh, pour the juice. So when we see new wine here, What's a little bit confusing in the Bible is because they use the same word for wine and juice. Same word, right? So we only understand when they mean wine, like alcoholic wine, and when they mean juice purely by context, right? So this is one of those situations. When Jesus says pouring new wine, he means juice, like straight up out of the grape. You know, you pour that into a wine skin, um, and as it fermented, that the animal skin would expand. You know, you need something that can expand, you know, so it doesn't, doesn't burst, something that can expand as, as it ferments, as that gas is released. And then as it expands, when it's done fermenting, when it is now wine, uh, that, that animal skin will harden, right? And then you can, I guess, drink it or use it whenever you need to. Um, Jesus is saying what would not work is for you to take, like to reuse it, right? They're not recyclable. You can't take a wine skin that's already expanded and hardened, pour some juice in there, and start the process over. Uh, it can't, it's expanding this is gone, right? It's, elasticity is gone. Uh, so as it expands, it'll crack, it'll burst. Um, he's saying it's not going to work that way. And so, so the point of this analogy, the point of this parable, is saying that we're, we're not going to be able to simply add the teachings of Jesus and incorporate them into our existing beliefs, like pouring new wine into an old wineskin. Um, our existing framework, you know, whatever, you know, whenever we come to God, whatever we approach Him with, whatever our, uh, our worldview is, our ideas about how the world works or how God is, if we just try to pour the teachings of Jesus into the way we already, already understand God to be, it's not going to work. It's going to crack. It's going to burst. It's not going to make sense. Um, so like trying to add a new patch to an old garment, Jesus can't be just a patch uh, added on top of our current beliefs. It won't work. He's too different. Instead, what he wants to do is he wants to make you completely new. Instead of being a patch on the old garment, he wants to make you a whole new garment, right? A brand new garment. Um, and he, he wants, instead of, instead of pouring, uh, pouring his teachings into your existing framework, man, he wants to make you completely new, give you a completely new framework, a whole new frame of reference. He, he wants you to be able to be, uh, understand the kingdom of God through a lens of God's grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, his son. He says you've got to start over. 
You've got to be spiritually born again. You've got to be made new like that new wineskin before any of it is going to make any sense to you at all. You know, and, and the teachings of Jesus are often opposite uh, of the way we understand the world to work. And sometimes you'll be reading through the teachings of Jesus. It's like, dude, this is totally opposite of everything. The way up is down. The way to be first is to be last. If I want to be the leader, I've got to serve everybody. Um, the first will be last. All these kind of things. It's the opposite, right? It's not going to fit in with, with the way you understand the world to work. And we're like those old wineskins. You know, the teachings of Jesus aren't going to make sense if we try to pour them into our, our ideas, our ideas of how the world works. Um, we've got to be a brand new garment and not just a, a new patch on an old garment. So the question, and bring it all around, the question is, have you been made new in this way? Have you, have you allowed Jesus to make you new in this way? Have you allowed Holy Spirit to make you new, lifting the veil in this way? Or when you hear teachings of Jesus, when you hear about God, do you just try to fit it in where it makes sense to you in the way that you understand God from however you were brought up, or just the kind of philosophical ideas that you ponder in your head? Is it just kind of like adding Jesus and the teachings of Jesus like a patch, or just trying to pour that in uh, where it fits? Or have you allowed God to make you completely new? We have a story in the Gospel of John where Jesus meets late one night uh, with a guy named Nicodemus, and I'm closing with this. And, and this guy named Nicodemus, he's got some questions. He's heard about Jesus, and he's got some questions for him, and he's talking with him. And Jesus is trying to explain to him. He's got questions about the kingdom of God. He's got questions about how to go to heaven. How can I know God? How can I have a relationship with God? All these kind of things. And, and Jesus tells him, Nicodemus, first and foremost, you've got to be born again. You've got to be made completely new. And of course, that goes right over his head. And what am I going to... i got to get back inside of my mom and like, and come out? No, no, not. You've got to be spiritually born again. Spiritually made new. Only the Holy Spirit can do it. You can't do it for yourself. You can't make yourself new. There's no 12 steps or self-help book that you can make yourself brand new and make yourself right with God. It's something the Holy Spirit does when you turn to Jesus. Like that verse we read in 2 Corinthians, when you turn to Jesus, it's something the Holy Spirit does in your heart. He makes you brand new. He makes you brand new. He makes you born again. And in that moment when you're born again, all of all the stuff of your past, wherever you were before, whatever kind of guilt or shame is, is, is associated with that, whatever kind of stuff you want to leave behind, and it's dead and gone. You're a new creation, a new person. It's a fresh start. That's what Jesus wants to do for us. He wants us to be able to leave behind that old life. He wants us to have a brand new start in Him. Everything we've ever done wrong can be forgiven because of what Jesus did. And, 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 and so if you guys have never heard this before, let me be the first to tell you, God loves you. There is a God, there is a Creator, and He loves each and every one of you. You're precious to Him. You're important to Him. He, you know, God, God loves each and every one of you, but because of and the things that we do, things that every single one of us has done, because of the way that, that we are, um, and the times that, that we're selfish, the times that we're prideful, the times that we hurt other people and hurt ourselves, but the Bible calls sin, and these things separate us from having the kind of relationship with God that God wants to have with us. Whereas, and God wants to draw near to us, He wants to scoop us up, in his arms, that sin separates us. So what God did is, is instead of punishing us for those sins, he sent his son Jesus. And, and when Jesus died on the cross, Jesus was publicly executed uh, on a Roman cross. And what Jesus did, the greatest miracle in the universe, he took all the punishment that, that I deserve, that you deserve, that humans for all time deserve for everything that we've done wrong, and he laid that punishment on Jesus instead. So instead of punishment, Jesus extends to you grace and mercy and forgiveness, and an opportunity to have a clean slate and be made completely because of what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus didn't stay dead. This is 
another part of the good news of the gospel is three days later, God raised him from the dead. He conquered death. So when you put your trust in Jesus, you not only get forgiveness of sins, but eternal life and forever in heaven with God uh, because death has been defeated for you. And so my question is, have you been made new in this way? I said, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. Right? And, and as he's explaining this analogy uh, to these guys about the, 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 the patch and the wineskins, the, the, the simple truth of it is, you've got to be made new before you can even begin understanding these teachings. You've got to be made completely new before you can even begin those first steps of having a real relationship with God. Because, because before you're made new, you're holding God at arm's length. You're saying, hey God, I'm curious about you, but I can't really draw in to get to know you uh, because I'm holding on tightly to my old life. Jesus says, I want to make you new. You know, when you turn to me, when you put your trust in me and what I did for you on the cross, the Holy Spirit comes in, He washes you clean and makes you new. And that's what God wants to do for you guys uh, tonight. So, in a second, I'm going to pray. Um, and, uh, and if you say, man, that, that's me. Uh, I've never prayed to Jesus, asked Him to forgive me of my sin, and asked Holy Spirit to make me new in that way. But I want to tonight, man, you've got an exciting opportunity tonight to be made brand new. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. Someone might think, man, God can never love me. God can never accept me. Matt, you have no idea what I've done or where I've been. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you've done. God can forgive you. God can make it new. God can give you a fresh start tonight, and he wants to. 